All right, we're pleased to introduce our guest for today, Chris Chase from Fox Sports US. Uh, Chris, how are you today? Doing well. Thanks for having me, fellas. No Welcome worries Chris. at all. Uh, we'll, we'll get straight into it, Chris. So during the week, we saw that Maria Sharapova came out and she admitted her positive test to meldonium at the Australian Open earlier this year. You wrote an article earlier in the week in regards to this. What's your take so far on it? It's such a fascinating story for just a number of reasons. The first of which being is that Sharapova came out and uh, releases information herself. Tennis is not the best sport when it comes to reporting uh, drug uh, positive tests. It's not very good when it comes to finding athletes. We saw Serena Williams, you know, mock- mockingly, but still threatened to kill a lineswoman and she just suspended 82,000 American dollars. So, uh, you know, the, tennis is not very good at instilling discipline in their players. So Sharapova comes out and she admits she took this drug no one in the States or in Europe or probably Australia had ever heard of. And it seems like an honest mistake. Then you had six more people test positive and you had 50 people test positive. Now you're up to, the new number is 99 people, mostly Russians, have tested positive. And my thought is that if this drug was legal December 31st, which it was, and all of a sudden became illegal January 1st, I can't throw stones at Sharapova for taking a performance-enhancing drug over the past 10 years, like she says. If, I mean... It's obvious these athletes were taking it because they thought it gave them a boost in athletics. They thought it may help their endurance or whatnot. If the drug was legal, then what's the difference between that and Novak Djokovic sleeping in his CBAC pod that you know gets him REMS uh, cycles when he gets in for 15 minutes? That's not illegal today. If it was illegal tomorrow, would that mean Novak was in the wrong for what he did today? No. So uh, I think the WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency, needs to maybe evaluate how it does things. If a hundred people are, are getting caught in the first 60 days, that's not a hundred people who wanted to break the rules and were yeah. knowingly cheating. The yeah. only logical assumption you can make from that is that there was a breakdown in communication. So are you suggesting perhaps maybe some sort of grace period or do you think these, this first month it gets handled different to what would go on in the future? I absolutely, I think grace period's a great idea. They talked about last year how WADA had all these samples and said that 2.2% of athletes were on meldonium. But why didn't they tell these athletes that they were on meldonium? I mean, there's no reason that if you're going to have something be illegal, uh, that you shouldn't uh, alert people that they're taking an illegal drug. And it's, uh, you know, Sharapova says she knew the drug is, I might have it wrong, but mildontrate or something. So... If I'm taking a supplement, and obviously I'm not a pro athlete, and you know, Sharapova and these athletes should have known what was in the drug they were yeah. taking, but it seems that they didn't. So they should either the U.S. ADA or WADA or, or whatever national association they're doing the doping thing, they need to either do a three or six month grace period or warn people the year before uh, that you have tested positive for a drug that will soon be illegal, uh, because. You know, for as easy as it sounds, Sharapova says, I, I didn't take a phone call, or, and Wada says, well, there was this piece of paper. You still have to go do that. And yes, 
every athlete should have because they know what's at stake. But apparently, 99 of them didn't. So it, yeah. it's, it's a very strange story. Yeah, so me and Dan have actually read quite a few articles this week and been quite uh, fascinated and, um, I guess, enjoyed your writings, just critiquing how Sharapova has handled, um, I guess, the release on Monday, uh, a follow-up sort of letter to her fans on Wednesday. And um, I yeah, really enjoyed some of your critique, um, certainly whether it's arrogant, whether it's stupid, whether it's contrived. Um, people have told me oh, it's just she's getting ahead of the game, getting ahead of the story. But if, I think any responsible or smart athlete would receive those PR moves and would do exactly the same thing. So I don't think we should be giving her praise for taking responsibility when what any smart athlete in 2016 should be doing. That's certainly seemed your take and it seems to be our take as well. 100%. Sharapova is repped by IMG, which is the biggest entity in tennis. They, they run tennis these days. And uh, about an hour ago, IMG Tennis's Twitter account uh, said, great article by Chris Chase on what I wrote today, which is never a good thing if, you know, it's not a great feeling that the, the arm of Sharapova's PR is complimenting what I write. It makes it seem like I'm, I'm shilling for her, which I wasn't. I mean, you know, what I said before, I believe. But yeah, we shouldn't praise her uh, because this was entirely predicated on her controlling the story. And we see it all the time. We see it in politics. We see it in, you know, when uh, Tom, Bernie Tomich is getting in trouble with the police. Yeah. I mean, this is what we see. You have to have a good PR team. And Sharapova, for that first 12 to 24 hours, looked like she had the, the press in the, in the palm of her hand. Then things started to get away from her, at least here. I, I don't know what the reaction's like down there, but she seems to have lost a lot of people up here. Uh, a lot of people who didn't care about tennis, a lot of people who are just kind of weighing in now. And uh, I always find that interesting because tennis here is not a sport that's as big as it once was in the days of McEnroe and Connors and Avertilova and uh, Everett. And so people will sort of wade into the conversation when they don't really know what's going on. And, and this, you know, there's a lot of uh, Monday morning quarterbacks, as we say, when it comes to Sharapova. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Chris. As you said, from what we gather as well, even down here, she did have the whole media and the story in the palm of her hand. She was well within its grasp, but now it seems to slowly have snowballed. So in saying that, where do you see this going? What, what would be a suitable punishment? Is it fair that she would miss six, 12 months? Obviously, the maximum bans four years. The, the Rio Olympics are approaching in 2016 that I'm sure she'd love to participate in. Where do you see it sort of progressing to? What's a suitable punishment for Sharapova in regards to this? It's such a good question, and you could say anything. If you said that she was going to get, she's not going to get four years for it all. So, I mean, yeah, four years is the maximum punishment, but I don't think anyone expects that. But she's not going to get the full breath, which is yeah. good because she's 29 years old. If she got a four year suspension, she's pretty much done. I don't think she'll get two years because of these circumstances now where you have 99 people, mostly Russians, testing positive. Uh, we don't know yet whether Sharapova put her names down, put the name of the drug down on the on these declaration forms that you fill out for every drug test. Uh, if she didn't put the drug down, that suggests she had something to hide. But you can infer a lot. Their, her team would come back and maybe say, well, uh, she's taken it for so long she didn't feel the need to disclose it. Whatever. I think that... The, the USCADA in WADA is a lot like FIFA. 
uh, in that they have a lot of problems and they're known as a corrupt sort of entity and they uh, look like that they have a preferential star treatment. I wonder whether they're going to make an example of Sharapova and give her nine to 12 months. I think years are probably about it. I would like to see a three-month suspension, uh, keep her out of the French, uh, get her back in time for Wimbledon and the Olympics, because frankly, uh, I don't see what she did wrong other than not read a piece of paper. Um, and if it, it turns out that she's been abusing meldonium and that uh, she's been blood doping or doing all these other things, then, then I'm wrong. Then she deserves big punishment. But... From the evidence we have now, I think they should sort of go easy because it seems that WADA did not communicate this ban uh, that well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm reading here like a her lawyer who's going to handle this case, John John J. Haggerty, um, is trying to trying to look to go under the therapeutic use exemption. Perhaps that'll be another defense for her. And as you said, the uh, right. declaration uh, disclaimer before she took the test certainly might work towards her favor. But I mean, for me, I'm t uh, certainly agree. Maybe that six month range would be appropriate, and obviously lose her um, Aussie Open uh, earnings, which I think about four hundred eighty thousand um, dollars, which for her seems to be a drop in the ocean as um, the richest female <laughs> athlete in the world. So I think she well and truly handled that. Um, Look, I guess we'll so, so uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt, but uh, speaking of lost uh, lost finances for Sharapova, you know, Nike uh, immediately Nike suspended her. Yeah, which is crazy to me. I, I didn't understand that they they stand by Kobe Bryant and you know guys who were doing far worse things yeah, than back in Sharapova, and then immediately. Denver, yeah. yeah, but if you look at the if you're at Indian Wells, which I'm not, but if you look at the Indian Wells tournament in California right now, they still have a Sharapova booth from Nike selling Sharapova stuff. Wow. Uh, it would have taken about two minutes to take that booth down and they're still selling her stuff. So Nike, uh, you know, that's another PR uh, move that, yes. that they're doing. Maybe they come crawling back. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Do you see them come, coming back? Right. Someone's got a sponsor in the end. So maybe, maybe Adidas comes and takes her. I'm not too sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so moving on, keeping it uh, local to us, Chris, obviously we follow which, with much interest and intrigue. Davis Cup, it's really one of Australia's favourite sort of tennis <laughs> tournaments. And our two sort of mavericks or mercurial talents we have at the moment are Bernard Tomic and Nick Kyrgios, amongst other people, both ranked within the top 30 in the world currently. Uh, and both, obviously for us, would be a great teammate pairing for the next 10 years in Davis Cup. We came up against uh, the US team last week mm -hmm. and unfortunately went down in that tie, Tomic losing his second singles rubber to John Isner. And, and through that, we saw a little bit of a conversation caught on the court, Mike, uh, which regarded his, I suppose, distaste or displeasure at Kyrgios not playing in the tyre and then maybe going and playing at Indian Wells. Um, it looks to be the biggest hurdle Leighton Hewitt will have as the Australian Davis Cup captain now going forward will be to galvanise this team and get these two on the same page. What was your take on that sort of instance? Do you, do you see these two making, you know, waves and getting into the top 10 and actually being able to communicate <laughs> or is it just a growing pain? It's, it's so funny that Bernard Tomic is trying to be the voice of reason, the voice of fairness and, uh, you know, chivalry. Uh, I'm sure many people found that ironic. The problem is not 
Team Australia. It's not the immaturity of Tonic or Kyrgios or all the. In my opinion, the problem is the Davis Cup. It uh, it's not as big a deal for the players as it is for press maybe wants it to be or the fans want it to be. We see Roger Federer didn't play, you know, ties other than to get in the Olympics for a long time. Then he really dedicated himself in 2014, I believe it was, when him and Stan went out and won. Djokovic, same thing. He doesn't play all the time. Nadal played for many years, but then once he got a little older, he didn't. Uh, So I think the Davis Cup is the issue because I can't blame Kyrgios for not playing the tie. And... You know, I watched it. You, you sound like you all watched it. If Kyrgios played and played well, uh, I think the I think Team Australia wins that. Uh, you know, uh, so but he has to worry about himself. I mean, this is an individual sport, and he's playing Indian Wells. He has Miami coming up, and then a month from now we start the European clay season. There's about five Masters, thousands of a thousand events in the next two months. And he needs to be ready for that. So I can't blame him for, uh, you know, sort of wanting to save his shoulder. It was a shoulder, right? Is that? It was that and a bit of flu, yeah. Oh, and the flu. So, you know, obviously Kyrgios is the lightning rod and whatever he does, uh, you know, if it was Sam Groth, nobody would have said much. (laughs) Obviously Kyrgios is is, is a better player. Uh, But I, I can't blame him. I mean, he's... He has to worry about himself, and uh, you know it was a stung for Team Australia. But Tomic cannot be thinking about that during a match. He cannot be no. uh, worried about that. And as Curio said, I mean, someone who's lost a match in under minutes. thirty minutes yeah. uh, really shouldn't be, you know, throwing stones from a glass house. So I'm curious, Chris, what's like public opinion of these two guys over there? Because certainly it's pretty divided in Australia. Some people love the colorfulness that it brings to tennis, which can be sometimes. A little bit mundane and, and not too many outspoken people, but um, I'm sort of in the camp that I do enjoy the antics whilst it doesn't paint a great picture for Aussie athletes. But I do enjoy, I guess, the reality TV showness to it, um, but at the same time, it gets a little frustrating because I don't know how long it's going to go for. Yeah, is it taken as disrespect over there? Because a lot of people mm. find it disrespectful to something that's known as a gentleman's game. I mean, Tomic is still. You know how Grigor Dimitrov was the you know, baby fed for a while and then that petered out and he had to become that? Tomic is still Tomic the tank engine here. People still are bewildered by him. They still don't know what they're going to get. There's still expectations that he could be that top 10 player that everyone thought he would be one day. But uh, it's sort of sort of a lot like Donald Young is, is to Americans where you just sort of roll your eyes when you see them perform well, because you say this should be every time you should be doing this every time. Kyrgios is on the verge here of becoming a crossover, you know, a star, I think. Uh, and you know, what, what kind of star he'll become will be interesting. The, 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 the Stan Roenka uh, comments last year in Cincinnati or whether it was Canada or whatnot, yeah. uh, that, that got a lot of attention here yeah, for, for tennis. Right, you know, tennis isn't as big here as it used to be. That got a lot of attention. His upset of Nadal because he's so mm. flashy and has the hair and has the, you know, the haircut and just uh, – and Americans, you know, just to generalize, love Aussie athletes. It's, uh, you know, Greg Norman was the biggest golfer for shot. years. People love Leighton Hewitt. Uh, so you know, uh, maybe it's the language uh, – 
Now the fact that we, everyone's speaking English, uh, I don't know what is exactly is, uh, you know, but uh, people seem to, to love all Adam Scott, for instance, is, is huge. Mm-hmm. So if Curios can become a top 10 player, if he can become that guy that people expect him to be, which is a successor perhaps to the big four, then I think will be and I, I assume the antics, the off-court antics, will sort of minimize with him. Uh, you know, we saw it with Djokovic, not to the degree where he's talking about someone's girl. Uh, but when he was young, you know, he was retiring from matches. And Andy Roddick was calling him out because, uh, you know, for the same thing that Atomic was calling Kyrgios out for. Sort of, you know, being a wimp or whatnot. Uh, but I think that comes with youth. And... 20 years ago, Curious would have been an, an older player right now, but now in this age when He's 30 is the new 20, uh, I think Curious gets a pass for the next year or two and then has to cut the crap out and kind of just, uh, you know, play. He can be flamboyant on court. He can still challenge jumps. He can be funny in press conferences. But, you know, the nonsense like with Stan uh, and beefing with Tomic, that has to go. Yeah, that has to stop. Totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah, really good points, Chris. I really appreciate that perspective as well because as we said, from us, a lot of people, as Max said, he's a polarizing figure down here. So really interesting take on where he sort of sits in, yeah, that that uh, that look on in the US sport, on the US sports culture. Um, just changing sports, just out of curiosity, we know you obviously follow NFL as well. Uh, during the week, we had one of the great all-time quarterbacks, great all-time players, announced his retirement uh, in uh, a widely syndicated speech across most of the world. Everyone saw him speak. Um, where do you think Peyton ranks amongst the all-time sort of quarterbacks? The, the main question I wanted to ask, without it being pointed, Chris, was do you think his recent sort of misdemeanors, indiscretions, or things that have come to light in regards to HGH and certain things that might have happened Tennessee when he was State. 18, 19 at Tennessee, do they impact upon his... His reputation, his career, the way we look at it, his legacy? It's a great question. The Tennessee stuff, I think, unless... I don't think anything new is going to come out about that. There was a very sort of witch hunt article in in a New York City tabloid that basically reported the woman's testimony as fact. And that's what really blew the story up here and I guess across the world is was that – because this is old news. I mean you know, we've heard about this in 2003, 2005. It's been brought up before. So the fact that it was brought up after he won the Super Bowl and as he was retiring, I think it's a little suspicious. Uh, one of – at Sports Illustrated, which is you know, our biggest sports magazine here, there was a great reporting uh, by a guy I used to work with uh, named Robert Klemko. And he reported the story. He went and found out that – the accusations against Peyton, I'm not going to call anyone a liar. I'm not going to say anyone uh, is, is or isn't telling the truth. But Peyton seems to have a better case against him. So I think that won't affect him. The HGH, there's no proof. Uh, and much like the Meldonian thing, I know the HGH is illegal. But if you're telling me that Peyton Manning unless he got an HGH injection in his neck because he had these various surgeries on his back and his neck, then I don't see a problem with that. If he was using it 
as a performance enhancer after those surgeries, then there's an issue. But so far, there seems to be no proof. You have hundreds of you know, reporters around the world looking for proof. And if no one's found anything yet, I think it'll be, uh, I, th- I think the gun won't be smoking. I think these things will blow over. And in the end, Peyton will be remembered as one of the greatest football players ever. In my opinion, the greatest uh, because he lasted so long, because he was so consistent, because he seemed to make everyone around him so much better. Uh, Jim Brown is, is often referred to as the best football player ever, but he played nine years for the Cleveland Browns, and the team wasn't very good while he was playing. And this is the problem with with you know American football is one guy doesn't can't make a difference too much. Jerry Rice is a go-to. The old San Francisco 49ers uh, play receiver. He's a go-to as who's the best ever. But without Joe Montana and Steve Young throwing him footballs, he's nothing. Uh, so it's a very symbiotic sort of thing when it comes to football. Uh, an offensive lineman is only as good as the guy next to him. A running back's only as good as, as the offensive line in front of him. A quarterback's only as good as the defense that he's playing with because he has to get the ball in order to win games. So I think when you look at all that and, you know, sort of take a step back and remember that this is a, you know, the, mo- the biggest team sport in the world. And I don't mean biggest in terms of size, but in terms of what the sport is and how much the team matters, I think Peyton's number one because he made his teams that much better, I think, than any other quarterback would have. And we saw it with the Broncos. He took a team that was pretty mediocre, and in one season, he made them into a Super Bowl contender. And I think if he had gone to Houston, if he had gone to Washington, where I live, if he had gone to the the Giants, or I knew he would have gone to the Giants because his brother's there, (laughs) but he would have made a difference anywhere. And that's why I think he's the best. Yeah, certainly that that retirement speech he gave earlier in the week... um, Certainly haven't sat down and listened to a lot of retirement speeches, but if there was some to really quash or put the nail in the coffin to these other speculations and rumors with Tennessee and the HGH, like he just really slam dunked, absolutely blew it out of the water. Like the final quote at the end, now he was already adored, but uh, I mean, any of the people out there who were sort of hating on him a little bit to do with these side stories, um, I feel like he's really blown them away. And now his legacy will come from that retirement speech and, and will just flow on. I feel like these side stories will eventually wash away, as you said, so yourself. Um, I think he just really killed it in that speech and, and like he's just going to sail off as, as you said, perhaps the greatest um, QB um, of all time. So, Yeah, definitely. There's definitely, yeah. No, yeah, there's no doubt in terms of, I mean, his regular season stats are phenomenal. He holds mostly all the passing records now, touchdowns, uh, passing yards, et cetera, et cetera. Now that he's got that second Super Bowl ring to put on the finger as well, five MVPs, um, there's no doubt. Yeah, so... It looks like he'll go down in history as, as definitely one of the best, if not the best. Right. I think the only problem with the retirement speech yeah. is going to have nothing left for his Hall of Fame speech. Because, I mean, yeah. the, the yeah. retirement speech was so good that <laughs> what's he going to talk about when he gets into the Hall of Fame in five years? You're I mean, right. that's how you're right. That's how good the speech was. It, it yeah. was excellent. Maybe he'll just walk up, shake hands, <laughs> and sit down. Right. Yeah. Um, just finally. <laughs> Just from a personal perspective, you wrote an article, and I'm glad you mentioned it during what you were saying just then. You wrote an article um, in the last couple of weeks regarding one of my favorite players of all time, definitely in the last 10 years, being uh, Calvin Johnson, Megatron, and that you thought maybe going forward, just because of his limited lifespan or life shelf life in the NFL, why he probably 
may not get selected into the Hall of Fame. He obviously holds a lot of receiving yard records under the age of 30, as you mentioned. But in terms of longevity, Detroit not being a very competitive team for the last seven or eight years, um, him not competing that great at Georgia Tech, obviously, when results are on the line. Um, I'm just curious, like, when you look at him and you've got that that breadth of work when he was in his prime, do you really still maintain that, you know, going forward, he may not be a, a Hall of Fame wide receiver? So... Much like the MVP debates, where people say the MVP should be the best player. I can respect that viewpoint. But for me, the MVP is what the award says, is the guy who's most valuable. And that's why I don't think a running back can ever be MVP. Because if you take Adrian Peterson off the Vikings, they were still pretty good without him last year. I mean, you know, they weren't a good team, but they weren't going to be much better without him. You take Peyton or Brady or Drew Brees or whoever away from those teams, and I think that you know that's when you find out who the most valuable player is. So to get this back to Megatron, if you ask me who were the top five receivers in their prime, you know I think it's going to be Megatron. I mean, I, I would say I'd put him behind Jerry Rice, maybe behind Randy Moss. Maybe number three on my list is just, you know, when he went up in triple coverage and jumped up and you figure there's no way he's catching this, he just came down with the ball and was so powerful. I mean, you know, so many nicknames now are terrible. It's not like the old days. But Megatron was so good because he was that powerful. It was like he was a machine. Uh, and I watched him closely because I was uh, in, uh, in school and he was at Georgia Tech and uh, my college played in the same conference. Uh, but you're right about his big game, uh, the lack of big game prowess, if you will. Uh, in the ACC championship in 2005, he played against my college, Wake Forest, and he was going to be the, you know, the number two pick in the draft. He was the most hyped guy, and he had three receptions in that game. Uh, but, you know, Peyton, you can say the same thing about for the playoffs. I just think that the Hall of Fame is a hall of, for people who have had great careers that span a length of time and nine seasons to me is not long enough. I will not sit here and say, no, Calvin Johnson should never be in the hall of fame. I think it's a travesty if he is, uh, you know, Terrell Davis for the Broncos had, was similarly, you know, a, a great player for a very small window. Uh, you know, uh, Johnson was a, a, for a bigger window. I just think that he needed to be, playing a little longer, and I don't think he would mind. I mean, he retired at 30, and that's his prerogative, uh, but he's currently number 42 in catches. He's, you know, like 32 in yardage or something like that. And by the time his five years goes by, because the NFL is so pass-happy now, he's going to be even, he's gonna be lower on that list. And, you know, is he better? So Santana Moss is just someone he's next to right now on the uh, on list. Santana, Santana Moss has one more catch. Was Santana Moss even close to the receiver that Calvin Johnson was? No. But if he has more catches, then I just I find it tough to see that, that Calvin Johnson should be in this institution with the best careers ever. I think he was one of the best football players ever. But to me, that's not my Hall of Fame. Yeah, perfect. No, really good take. Um, and as I said, we I just have a personal interest in it because we've followed Megatron yeah. for much of the last eight or nine years. Um, that's probably a wrap, Chris. Really appreciate yeah. you 
your perspective, your take on, on most of the stuff we discussed. I've just got one more question, but it is just sort of um, a one-word sort of answer. So I know you're obviously based in D.C., Washington. You would have followed the Redskins for much of the last few years. Ah, good question. Um, RG, RG3, if he could go to one landing spot in the NFL right now, what's yeah. the best fit for both him and for the team? 49ers. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we might save yeah. the, the reasoning behind that until next time. As yeah. I said, really appreciate having you on today, Been Chris. Awesome. If you want to read Chris's stuff, jump on Fox Sports US, search Chris Chase. Um, you'll also find him on, on Fox Sports Australia, on Twitter as well, at Chris Chase. Uh, but yeah, thanks so much for, yeah. for coming on the show today, We, we could talk about it, Chris. We could pick your brain about other American sports, but yeah, unfortunately, we'll have hey. to catch you, catch you another time. Any anytime. You guys are great, by the way. Seriously, yeah. I'm not just blowing smoke. <laughs> this was really good. So uh, if you want to talk again, you know yeah. how to reach me. We, right? we appreciate the time, Chris. Thanks for that. Perfect. Thanks Bye. so much, Chris. Later, guys. Cheers, mate.